Okay, welcome to Grace and Peace Church. Glad you're journeying with us. My name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor here and have the honor of bringing God's word in our study this week. And we're going to start out with a story by Aesop and it's called The Miser. I believe it ties in beautifully with our passage as we dig in. So check it out. This is the story of the miser and his treasure by Aesop. A miser had buried his gold in a secret place in his garden. Every day he went to the same spot, dug up the treasure and counted it piece by piece to make sure that it was all there. He had made so many trips that a thief who had been quietly observing him guessed what the miser had hidden and one night dug up the treasure and made off with it. When the miser discovered his loss, he was overcome with grief and despair. He groaned and he cried and he tore his hair. My gold, cried the miser wildly, someone has robbed me. Your gold? There in that hole, said a passerby. Why did you not keep it in the house where you could easily get it when you had to buy things? Buy, screamed the miser angrily. Why, I'd never touched the gold. I couldn't think of ever spending it. The stranger picked up a large stone and threw it into the hole. If that's the case, he said, then just cover up that stone. It is worth just as much to you as the treasure you lost. So I really enjoy how a story can captivate our imagination and begin to draw us into this, this life and the, the, the struggles that we have and the journey that we go through of sorting through truth and what is good and what is beneficial, what is life transforming. And today we're in James and we're almost to the end of this letter that James writes to these disciples, to these followers of Jesus. And, um, and he, he basically gives this warning to how we steward our resources and our finances and our relationships and our relationship with God. And so I love that, that story by Aesop that, that talks about this miser who really just it, it, his, his possession, his wealth could have been anything, right? Because it's just buried, it's stored up in a spot where it's just, it's, it's useless. And, and I love the passerby that just says, and in that case, let me just throw a rock in there and you might as well just bury a rock because it doesn't really matter what was in there and whether it was stolen or not. It's just something that's useless and, um, and it might as well have just been a treasure that's lost. And so um, our possessions, our resources, um, they're worth no more than what we make them. And so if, and what we make of them and what we do with them. And so if they're just buried, lost and gone, um, that's it. So that's the sermon. Have a great day and I'll talk to you later. Just kidding. Let's dig into this passage today. Uh, James gives us this idea of uh, maybe a good way to put it is our theology of work. So check this out. Starting in James chapter 5 verses 1 through 6. Now listen you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. Yeah, he goes straight to the jugular. This isn't a, like a passage where um, he's, he's super, uh, I think, grace-filled to those that are mistreating others. So here he goes in verse 2. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. So poetic. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers 
who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent, the innocent one who was opposing you. This is one of the heavier passages. He does not cut any slack when it comes to our relationship with our resources, our finances, and our relationship with others and our relationship with God. Um, some might call it like the vertical relationship with us and God and some the horizontal relationship with us and people. And so he really just gets heated and fired up over this idea that you can't mistreat people in this process of life and stewarding the things that God's given us. And so the first thing I want to do is look at this definition of stewardship. So when you look it up, a very simple definition that you'll see is it's a noun for the job of supervising or taking care of something such as an organization or property. I believe that as we look at scripture and as we look at even the creation story, what God gives us, what he does is he says, I've made you in my image and I've created you to be stewards, to be caretakers of this garden. And a lot of it's been destroyed, misused, um, mismanaged, if you will. And what he calls us to do is he says, I want you to be good stewards. You who follow me, you who are believers, you who understand the truth and have discovered this beautiful relationship with your creator, recognize that I want to be redeeming all things, that I want to call you to be a community, a people who are reflecting my heart to this community of redemption, of making things new, of building relationships that thrive, of loving people. That's the call that he puts on us. And that's stewardship. That's what we, we as Christians, we call that stewardship. Stewardship over our resources, over our relationships, over the things that God's put us in charge of. Because he doesn't just make us robots. He allows us to have autonomy, to have freedom of choice and decision. And he allows us to use the things he's given us. He's given us our body. He created everything we experience. He gives us the finances, the job, the things that we all um, have and, and, and engage with all around with on a daily basis um, to be used for his glory uh, or for our own self-indulgence. So let's check out Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21, which is it's the Sermon on the Mount, which is what James is quoting a lot of times, which is a beautiful thing. If you ever want to read through James, it's really fast. And then read through the Sermon on the Mount and begin to see how many parallels there are. So let's read uh, what James is quoting here. Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we see Jesus calling his listeners uh, and his disciples to invest in things that are eternal, long term. So things that rust are temporary, uh, like our vehicles, um, they don't last forever, unfortunately. Uh, and then he talks about moth, uh, don't invest in things that 
uh, moth will come and eat and destroy like our clothing. We get so caught up in our clothing thinking that that's going to somehow make us better or make us somehow um, more comfortable, whatever it is, fill in your blank, more popular, more uh, liked by other people. Um, but what he says is don't invest in those things so much because those are temporary. What he says, invest in the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, invest in eternal uh, things, which would be investing into relationships, investing into people's lives and, uh, and that being a long-term thing. So this call that he puts is not something new. Um, this is something that was also in the old Testament and, um, and this was this idea of, um, of not putting our, our hope in physical things, in the physical world, that those are uh, fleeting, that those are temporary. And uh, we see this illustration in, the, uh, in Exodus where God sets his people free from slavery in Egypt. And then there's 40 years of wandering in the desert. And some uh, theologians believe that that's a process of not only God taking them out of Egypt, out of slavery, but then taking Egypt out of them because they'd been so ingrained with the social and cultural norms of Egypt that they had to be reframed and restructured in how they think about God and how they viewed their relationship, which is also just a beautiful call to us, the same thing that we always need to be thinking about how is the culture speaking into us versus what is God teaching us. And one of the ways that we see that happen is through manna. So God provides food, which is this manna that... Um, the, the deeper meaning of manna is what is it? Because they didn't really understand, but it was food and God told them that it would provide them, provide food for them. It would miraculously appear um, throughout the night and that they would take as much as they needed for that day and then leave the rest and, um, and the rest would rot and spoil. And, and what God does there is he basically just says, I want you to depend on me for physical sustenance, for survival, day by day and anything that people hoarded and, and if they took more mana than they needed to try and plan for the rest of the week or in the future would rot and just fall apart and so what god does there is this like this beautiful poetic way of helping them see like don't try and hold on to this stuff like hold on to me because i will provide and trust that i will provide tomorrow that you need to worry about today which is another thing that jesus references but we don't have time to get into that but what you see here is a stewardship of relationship, a stewardship of how we handle our lives in the scope of how God relates to us. And so stewarding that well is basically saying, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust my life, my resource and everything to God and, and know that he has things in control, that he's dependable. And so what James does here in chapter 5 is this call to these disciples, which James is writing to, uh, to steward life well. And, and that definition, going back again, is just like these are things that God's put in our lives to steward. So our lives, our talents, our time, um, our treasure, everything about who we are is all meant to be steward well because they're given to us uh, from God. And so... What we see here is not necessarily James shaming people um, because he is very forthright. He's very forward. He's very like aggressive in how he calls out uh, the injustice. But what he's doing here is 
is not shaming people for having wealth, but it's, it's calling them out for what they do with that wealth. So you might hear this and might hear um, an undertone of, if you have wealth, you're wrong, and you're somehow doing something that goes against God's heart, that which isn't true. Throughout scripture, you see people with wealth and you see people with very little wealth. It's what they do with it, right? And it's going back to what Jesus says, where he says, don't lay up treasure in heaven or on earth, but lay up treasure in heaven. And, and then he ends it with, where your, uh, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so it's more about where your heart is with those things than about what you have and how much you have, quantity. So how we approach it is everything. And so you see these intense descriptions of like, look, your wages have failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields or crying out. Um, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. It's been basically, he said, everything has been about you instead of being about investing and stewarding what you have to invest in others and to take care of others and to be generous uh, as the people of God. And so money is ultimately this reflection of our heart. It's a reflection of who we are, how we handle things. If we are generous people, that's going to reflect the kind of people we are, the character that we have, um, the God that we worship. If we believe that God loves us deeply and will provide for us, then we should live into that, believing that we can be generous and that God will continue to take care of us when we are of, um, I think, that, that sense of responsibility towards stewarding well. So again, uh, money is that reflection of our heart. And one of the things that that I want to ask us is like, do we invest in our community? Is our heart for our community? So shop local versus Amazon. This sentiment is less about sticking it to the rich. Um, this is one of those things that kind of goes around, I think at least in SoCal and what I'm familiar with is this a lot of times at Christmas and our holidays that um, there becomes this push to shop local versus supporting the big box stores or big corporations. Um, and this and, and this idea is less about really trying to stick it to the man who has you know tons of money, tons of resources, uh, but more about investing. At least for me, there may be other people that do want to do that, but um, but I think as a Christian perspective, I think when we talk about shopping local, I think what the the heartbeat is, is invest in relationship, invest in people, invest in the neighbor down the street who has a family that you know that maybe your kids go to school with. Um, it's recognizing that we can now have an impact in our community through how we spend our money. And so I'm not, I don't want to get so much into that as much as raise the awareness and begin to think through how can we begin to steward the things that God's given us to where we're using them to invest in people's lives that they might be transformed by the love of God. And what you see James here, what you see James doing is calling out those that are oppressing, those that are using resources, using power, using time, influence, to then take from others so that they can build up their own kingdom, so to speak, and really invest in themselves rather than being focused on their neighbor, focused on their employee, focused on their, their family and their community, the, the neighbor that lives next door. And so what I believe is this call to be community centric, 
to love your neighbor as Jesus so overly emphasized continually, right? That by our love for one another, they will know that we are disciples, is what Jesus called them to over and over. And I believe that as we begin to invest in community, we become less self-centric and more neighbor-centric. So self-centric says, I care about me and my thing, and I just want to make sure that I'm doing well. But when we have this relationship with Jesus that says, I love you, I care for you, and I love for these people, and I want to use you to transform this community, it says we're going to be neighbor-centric. We're going to be people-centric. We're going to invest in people. We're going to care for people um, that are in our lives. And, um, and it really does start with us and where we are. We don't have to solve the world's problems. What we have to do is look at what's my part in the puzzle? What am I doing in my business if you're a business owner? Or maybe what's my part in how I spend my dollar on a daily basis? Um, it's asking the question of like, with what I get, maybe if you're younger and you're getting allowance um, or you're getting money from somewhere else that um, that's just given to you on a continual basis. How do you steward that? What are you doing with it? Um, I want to think just at, at all age levels, like this does, this applies to all of us. This isn't just for rich business owners. This is meant for everybody and how we steward things. And so what I want to do is close with a story and illustration that's helped me really kind of wrap my mind around this sort of, um, economy of God, so to speak, um, which really boils down to this theology of work and how we live our lives in our communities. And so a friend of mine, um, Tim, and I have these discussions and have these discussions for a long time about how do we uh, how do we view ministry and how do we view vocational ministry? And so sometimes even having that terminology can be um, detrimental to our discipleship uh, because one of the things I've done is I've asked him early on in my relationship, but I've just seen just how, how much he loves ministry and how much he loves pouring into people's lives and teaching God's word. And I was like, Why don't, when are you going to get into to ministry, to full-time ministry? And early on, like he had just this beautiful mentor uh, named Dallas Willard that uh, just, he just studied his, his work over and over. But, um, but Tim was shaped in a way that said, Full-time ministry isn't just those that get paid and work in a church under the um, the umbrella of pastoral ministry, full-time paid ministry. What he said was, all of life is vocational ministry, um, and all of life is ministry. That no matter where you're at, if you're a carpenter, you're a painter, you're a teacher, all of those things you can minister and you are a leader and somebody who reflects Jesus within that community. And so he's convinced me that he doesn't need to get out of his job of being a carpenter or a painter uh, or a, f a finish finisher. Uh, I forgot the technicality, the name of that, but um, to get into ministry, but he needs to work in the place that he's called to do ministry and the, with the employees that he has to be the reflection of God's heart and with the customers that he engages with, that he can be a reflection of God's heart. So a theology of work has to be woven into our, our church life, our discipleship, who we are as Christians. And so we have to understand that it's about stewardship. It's not about a title. It's about all of us being called no matter where you are. Um, and I think that's what James points to is that if you're the boss who has workers in the field, how are you handling that? 
If you are a business owner, if you are someone who has finances, how are you investing that? How are you using it to bless people or to be um, detrimental to people's health, um, which ultimately reflects the kingdom of God and the heart of God? And so God sees us as having infinite value and just want to close with this idea that if we believe that God sees us with infinite value, that he loves us, that he cares for us deeply, and he cares for every human being created on this planet, then he wants us to be stewards that are going to take our time, that we're going to take our talents, the things, the gifts, the skills that God's given us, and the treasure, which would be the the resources that we have, the money that we have, the all the stuff that we have, our homes, um, everything about who we are. Uh, how are we going to steward those things? How are we going to invest those things? And so that's my challenge to you. It's real simple. I don't want to overly complicate it, but I would just ask you to reflect this week on how do you use those three things, your time, your talent, and your treasure to invest in the kingdom of God and be a blessing towards others. And so going back to that fable of Aesop and the miser, um, is your treasure something that you hold as super valuable and it's buried and it's hidden and you go and worship it and check it out and make sure it's okay and then bury it again? Um, I think the passerby would just say that that's like, it might as well be a rock. this, the resources, the skills, the abilities, the time, everything you have might as well just be a rock buried in the ground because it's not valuable. And I would say that your life, your time, your talent, your treasure, everything about you is valuable, whether it's small or great, and God wants to do beautiful things through your life. And so grace and peace to you as you live into that. And we'd love to wrestle through these things with, that, uh, with you. If you have questions, reach out to us. Find us on social media. Um, or go to our website, graceofpeacechurch.org. We'd love to chat. We'd love to connect with you and, and journey with you as this unfolds in your life and as you wrestle with it. So, grace and peace as you go into this week. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Amen.